Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavrita Yerdina Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachat Yoma, daf Pei, page eighty. Um, we have here another daf of Shiurim, the measurements that are well. It begins, of course, with the issues of what is prohibited on Yom Kippur, where what would make a complete violation that would incur karate, whatever. But um, the daf in classic Gemara form goes into all other discussions of shiurim measurements um and we would be remiss if we didn't mention that the daf opens with the me- discussion of kazayit right the the an olive's worth or like an olive which is the basic measurement of anything that you know is a an, a thing of eating um except for when we have exceptions to the fact that there's a kazayit the gemara on that is not particularly dramatic or anything like that it simply establishes it but it's it's a key basis for discussion elsewhere. And then there's all discussions of, you know, we'll talk about this, you know, who's Kasayat, right? Like which Kasayat? Is it an objective or subjective kind of measurement? Um, so on that point, we have a statement here from Rabbi Yochanan. I'm Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says that the measurements and punishments are that this means that they are Basically, this this phrase, and we've talked about it before, halacha mochimisinai, means something that is transmitted without ever having machloket on it, right? Like it's a, it's transmitted from on high, right? Basically, and it and it was accepted in by the people without any matter of dispute. One of the classic examples of halacha mochimisinai is the fact that tefillin are black. For example, right? It was never up for dispute. Oh, let's have you know purple tefillin. No, like it was always this is the way tefillin are. So this this phenomenon of the measurements themselves, like what are they, is kind of indisputed. Onashin, um, the Gemara says, what kind of what what do you mean that the punishments are halachah mishbisinai mechtav ktive? You don't need a tra- you don't need a tradition from Moshe to talk about onashin to talk about the punishments. Because they're explicitly written in the Torah itself, you don't. So there's no there's no external tradition that people needed to not argue about. Rather understand that the shiurim shel onashim that it's not all the punishments for all of the transgressions that are in the Torah, but specifically the measurements that are that determine the liability for punishments, you know, how much you have to have to be able or to be subject to the punishment, that is halachal moshe So when we talk about, when the Mishnah talks about the kikotevet, the amount, the date, the kikotevet agasa, the large date that incurs um, the punishment for the full violation on Yom Kippur, this claim would be that it, it's halachal moshe Then the Gemara continues, telling you, Ami so there's a brighter that says that makes the claim the same way that Rabbi Yochanan we've just read that Rabbi Yochanan says this, you know that the the Gemara has it here, you know, not as a statement from from Rabbi Yochanan. Let me let me say this carefully. We first have a passage that ascribes this position to Rabbi Yochanan. Then we have. The Gemara brings a brayta that makes the same claim, namely shiurim um, and onashim. Shiurim shel onashim. It's a little more clear. Um, Ar halachah Moshe Fine, but in that brayta, 
it has another view, which is an interesting thing to have on something, a position that is about not having any dispute. Meaning, is a clear and unblemished tradition, except for that now we have a view that says, no, it wasn't to begin with. Rather, that this court of Yavits um, is what... Um, is what decreed these particular measurements, and and they're, that they this is what would incur punishments. Now Yavitz is one of the um, Bnei Yehuda, the sons of Judah, who's listed in Divrehayamim, in the Book of Chronicles, and it seems that he was some kind of, you know, the leader. This is of but the position here is, you know, a very early um, establishment. Whether you say Halacha Moshe or you say that this is coming from the Beit Dino of Yavitz, it's still, you know, this was already classic, um, classically accepted, um, you know, long before we come to the Gemara, the time period of the Gemara. So the Gemara says, one second, how could it be any of this? We've got, again, we've got it written, these are the mitzvot, meaning, which goes on to say, you know, this is elements of what that God commanded, right? We have a very strong, and this gets into a whole theological discussion. Uh, Navi cannot introduce anything new when we're talking about the Torah or the mitzvot, because from Elah mitzvot, I mean, these are the mitzvot, right? And and nothing else, nothing new comes after that. Ella she kachum v'chazru v'yasdum. So you can't say that the Beit Dino of Yavetz created these these um, measurements if they were already in place from, or or rather, if we have mitzvot that are in place, the mitzvot have to include the measurements to begin with. You can't, the Gemara here is making the point that it would, once you say that these are the mitzvot, meaning, and that that principle means that no prophet even, even a prophet, cannot come and change the basic structure or the basic terms of these mitzvot. How could it possibly be that anybody later, even an early court like that of Yavitz, how could it be that that would come and make any adjustment that would violate the verse of Elah mitzvot? So the Gemara resolves this and says, over time, people forgot the specifics. So then the, you know, the prophets, or in this case, maybe the court, came and reestablished them and, and taught them. And that's how they got ascribed, how these measurements were then ascribed to Beit Yavit. But it's not that they created them. It's just that they, you know, re, I guess they recovered them um, and were able to present them to everybody else. Part and parcel of any mitzvah is how is it going to be done? And if there's going to be a violation of that mitzvah, that means also how is it going to be done? How much, what do you have to do for it to count as a violation? So when they come to establish Urim, the claim that they were already in place, but that had been forgotten and recovered is really important in terms of um the lasting nature or the binding nature of the Torah, because if any of the details are missing and to claim then that the people would come and establish them would really call everything into question. So when the Gemara comes and resolves that by saying, oh, they 
they forgot them over time. The people forgot the measurements and then the court came and established them fresh for them. Um, the credibility, right? It's, they're establishing the credibility of, oh, this was always what it was supposed to be, part and parcel of the mitzvot. I feel like I have not articulated that as well as I intended, but I think it's still really essential to the understanding of not just not just halacha, but um, you know the theological understanding of what it means to have something come from God, right? And and to what extent can the people get involved? Well, the Gemara is saying something radical here. It's basically acknowledging they don't have a good proof of how we know this shiur, right? You'll read the Torah. And the concept of the olive, the date, the, the egg, all of these sizes doesn't really appear in Torah Shabbat. So, you know, they want to say it's got to be Meso, right? It has to be Halacha Lamosha Sinai. But it's sort of as a double, you know, check. Okay, we're going to say it's Halacha Lamosha Sinai, but we're also going to say the courts, the Nevi'im, had the power to establish this as well. And it's not a new establishment. They had the power to remember it. And I think it's sort of a way of the Gemara covering its bases by saying, like, we know we don't have a clever Midrash Halakha here on which to really explain how these sizes came about. I think that's well said. I think that I think that um, springboarding off of the daf to explain what's happening on the daf sometimes does feel radical, right? To say that, what do you, like, to say, I, th- I think you're entirely right, Yordina. They didn't have a you know a clear verse or anything like that that's going to teach the shiurim, but to acknowledge that the Gemara doesn't spell it out for us in as many words, because that's already a much, it's a that's the radical statement, right? They dive right into the content of it. Of listen, it's halacha Moshe Bisinai, or it's from Beiti Nofishol Yavitz, or wait a second, they just remembered it, right? And they're they're in the meat and the potatoes of trying to explain the source without establishing the question of why they have to explain the source, which I think is, um, I think it's helpful the way you've framed it. I think that Chazal would be, would have been reluctant to, to reveal that card, so to speak. Right. And I think what's clear is there's a strong misora for what the halacha is. There's just not a strong source for it. Right. The misora of the shiurim, indisputed. The misora for how we know that the shiurim were the shiurim, not clear. Exactly. Okay, let's um, just one very quick comment. Um, even to say it outside, the next little bit of the Gemara, right after what I've just read, um, talks about the the measurement of liquid, right, for drinking in Yom Kippur, which we talk, which is here presented as male lugmav, right? It's hashoteh malo lugmav, one who drinks a cheekful, and then the Gemara says. Um, this is not two cheeks full. This is just one cheek full. And of course, the question of how you establish what a cheek full is, meaning when you go to drink and and how much liquid do you take into your mouth to measure, you know, what your cheek full is. And the question of whether we've got subjective or objective measurements is front and center on this one, right? Is it your cheek full? Is it some kind of objective measure that we say that is a cheek full? But again, it can't be two cheekfuls. How do you keep the liquid to just one side of your mouth? I, I there's something of this discussion that strikes me as as some somewhat comical. I want to say this with respect because I do think that there's a need to establish. You know, how do you establish what the liquid amount is? It's a different kind of thing than your olive and your date and your egg. Um, 
but trying to measure the amount of one cheekful versus two cheeksfuls is where I think there's a, the comic comes into it because just how are you supposed to do it? And yet I know plenty of people who do this, right? Who they actually measure their own cheekfuls by filling up their mouth, swig, you know, taking a swig, filling up their mouth, then dividing it by half um, in order to drink shoe or Munyam Kipper. Whereas other people will say, no, it's the amount of, you know, an ounce or a half an ounce or whatever the, you know, the specific number of liquid, liquid content. And that's going to be objective across all people. So that part, I think, again, the question of how do you do the measurement um, is, you know, very essential. Nothing comical about it. I'm just the only thing that strikes my funny bone is specifically this attempt to to find one cheekful's amount of liquid. Uh, It's an odd measurement. And I think, you know, going through that, the Gemara recognizes that. And so what the Gemara does next is, you know, the whole idea of measurements is to basically give something objective. But then the Gemara is really going to show, but when it comes to eating and volume and, and how we measure some of these things, there's a lot of subjectivity. So taking this concept of the cheekful, right, they're going to basically bring a, uh, you know, uh, they bring this brisa here. They they bring another brisa here, which basically says Right? How much does somebody have to drink on Yom Kippur in order to be considered chayav? Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel and Rabbi Yehuda all have, uh, you know, three different opinions, and it's not clear really what distinguishes between Beit Hillel and Rabbi Yehuda. I'm not reading it all inside, just for the sake of time. And so the question they want to deal with is which is better, the brisa or the Mishnah that we have? Um, and so now that goes through sort of a series of objections uh, to understanding how, what's exactly the distinction between, uh, you know, uh, Beit Hillel and this Rabbi Yehuda opinion in the name of Rabbi Eliezer. So Maki love Rabbi Yosh, uh, Hoshia. So Rabbi Hoshia disagrees. And he says, So he says, if you understand that Beit Hillel's measurement is the single cheekful, right? then this would actually be a case where Beit Shammai is lenient, okay? Because you would basically be saying that Beit Shammai is a quarter lug, uh, which actually would be more. And um, and 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 Beit Hillel is umichumer Beit Hillel. Beit Hillel is actually machmer. It's actually a smaller amount, right? Amarle, Um, So, you know, and so what he's saying here is, and this is kind of interesting, is that it's not actually one of the ones that's listed when we have the examples of, where Beit Shammai is Mekel, and where Beit Hel is Machmer, which is actually all listed in Masachat Adyot, uh, which, you know, sort of, it's in Nezikin, it's sort of the earliest, probably tractate of Mishnah, because it's not really on a theme, it's just a collection of literally testimonies. And so it lists out all the cases where Beit Shammai is actually more Mekel, and this doesn't make the list. So therefore, Amarle, so he says about this, Ki Ashtil Ba'ogmel Chabashan Ishtil, right, it it Shil, so what the, they say sort of funny is, is that, okay, really, let's say we take the case of Og. So Og, you know, Melch Bashan is sort of always the example of a giant, right? So the point here is that for him, a cheekful is actually going to be big, right? So his opinion, according to Beit Hillel, is actually going to be makeout because his cheekful was huge. And that's where Beit Shammai will actually end up being more machmir. And so what I think the Gemara is introducing here with this objection is, is that this measurement of the cheekful um, when it comes to drink, it, there's a lot of subjectivity in it, right? My cheekful may be bigger or smaller than somebody else's cheekful. 
and they use an extreme example for this of Og Melch Bashan, who we know is a giant, obviously his cheekful is going to be quite large. So then we get to uh, Rabbi I, I just have always, yeah. right? Always Og is the measurement of, Og is used as the measuring stick of someone who is quite large, right? Like, Right. He's different from everybody else, so he becomes a, a good example of where where subjectivity might be necessary. Right. And so then the Gemara extends this. That was about drinking. Now then Rabbi Zera comes, and he's going to say, Mati la Rabbi Zera, my shachila. This we could say it's also true with eating. Right? We said that for Yom Kippur, you're chayab if you eat this, you know, date-sized portion. Right. And remember that we said, you know, right. And all people, right. So for all people, that's going to be the same measurement. Right. But when it comes with drinking, what are we going to say? Each person is a cheekful. That's going to be different measurements for each person. Right. So this doesn't really make sense. Right. So Bai says, Remember that the sages basically said this tradition that the volume of the large date is an amount that settles somebody's mind and less than this does not settle his mind, right? But when it comes to drinking, when it comes to drinking, it's basically your mind is settled with your measurement. So in other words, it's like with eating, it's an objective measurement. But drinking sort of is based on a person's size, right? And different people, different amounts of drinking are going to settle their mind. Now, again, Rabbi Zera is not going to like this. Matkif le Rabbi Zera. So he's going to also object to this. So then he says, okay, you want to say that maybe there's a distinction between eating and drinking. But you're going to say everybody, like average people, they're going to be satisfied with eating a large volume of this, eating the volume of the large date. But Og, he's also going to be? In other words, it doesn't make sense. The same should be true of eating, right? It shouldn't just be that drinking is the only one that has to do with body size. Eating should also have to do with body size. Amr Abai, so Abai is going to answer him. Kim luhulu rabbanan divahachi miyatre date, bitsirme hachi lo miyatre date. Right? So he says, okay. Abai says the Chachamim basically have this tradition that this is the amount, right, that the of this date that's going to settle his mind. Less than that does not settle his mind, right? So this, right, when we talk about everyone, meaning the average person, it's greatly settled. Okay, in other words, yes, it really settles them if they eat this amount of the of the date. Excuse me, but with Og, it's only going to be a little bit. So in other words, if I saying like, okay, I hear what you're saying, a larger person is going to need larger food, but we're not going to allow this type of subjectivity get into this. Yes, they may not be as settled, but they're going to be settled enough for our halachic purposes that we're not going to change the size of the date. Even though the cheekful, we're going to sort of allow maybe this, this difference. Now again, so now again, Rabbi Zera. Right, so now Rabbi Zera is going to ask another uh, interesting objection to this, right? Basar Shemen Kikotevin, right, where he says, if you eat fatty meat, okay, at the size of a large date, okay, or if you eat grapevine shoots, 
right? That's a volume of a large state. In other words, his point is, is that different foods make people feel full in different ways. Again, another type of sort of, I guess this is objective, but it's also subjective. In other words, you can use this, this volume of the date, but we're going to know that like, you know, you bite, you eat something that's nice and fatty, you have a different satisfaction than if you sort of just eat uh, that same volume of vegetables. I would certainly relate it to this and totally understood why this would hold true. <laughs> but what Rabbi Zare is basically saying is different, we're basing it just on volume, but we know that different foods make different people feel differently. And if the size of the date is that it's a size that settles the mind from hunger, right, then we do have to consider a little bit what food it is. So Amar Le'abai, so Abai says to that, so he says, no, again, going back to the Chachamim had the tradition that this is the measure where one's mind is settled. Right? With less than this, his mind is not settled. And he says, right, if you ate fatty meat, you're going to really feel settled, your mind. But if you only ate these grapevine shoots, it'll be a little less settled. You're not going to really feel um, as uh, full. So we're, what we're basically seeing is, is that I think what Rabbi Zayr is doing with these objections is he's trying to sort of introduce this concept of like either subjectivity or another element that maybe should change the volume. And Abai is basically coming like, you're right. Those things could be true, but essentially they're not that true. We source the, the rule that the Chachamin made about the size of the date being important and it's not dependent on the size of the person. It's not dependent on, well, let's go back to the cheek, actually. It's, you know, yes, the drink is different. But when it comes to eating, it's not dependent on the size of the person. It's not dependent on uh, what type of food it is. You know, this is just really going to be uh, what, the, what, what the size is going to be. And then, you know, then we have another objection. Matkivle Rava. Rava comes with his objection. So he comes with a whole different thing, which is when we talk about any of the prohibitions that have a measurement of a kezayis, right? It has to be a kezayis that's eaten within the time that it would take to eat half a loaf of bread. Now think about that. Or requirements. It's not right, just prohibitions. Right? So in other words, eating kezayis, it's a very tiny amount. But the idea is, is that like, if you picked a little piece of that olive, Right? And then you waited like a full hour and then you finish the rest of that olive. We're not going to say you ate a kazais. It's too far apart. But let's say, I don't know, to eating half a loaf of bread to take a person. I don't, what, what do you want to say on 20 minutes or something like that? In other words, you have to eat. even that's pretty fast, but yeah. Meaning right. I don't think the I think that sometimes these measurements feel like, whoa, that's rushing it. And sometimes you feel like, of course you would be finished with your kazayat in that amount of time. Right. How, how big is a kazayat after all? And then, you know, this is also, the these measurements are undisputed, except for how much. Right. I think the point here is, is to say, disputed. it's not just the, the volume, but it's also how long it takes you to eat it, which makes a lot of sense. Right. In other words, like, you, you can't eat a quarter of the kazayas and then wait three hours and eat another quarter of the kazayas, wait three hours, eat another quarter of the kazais, wait three hours, and then be done. So that took you nine hours to basically eat this one kazais. You're not going to be higher for that, right? And so there they say, but on Yom Kippur, right, when you're eating 
this larger volume, right? Remember this volume of this large date, right? You're also going to be high up in that same amount of time. So it actually seems that there may be sort of some type of leniency here where you eat a larger amount in the same period of time. So in other words, theoretically, you could eat more food, right? In that same period of time and not hit the benchmark of like, oh, now you're over and eating too much food on Yom Kippur. And so that's a piece that doesn't really make sense to wrap up. So Amr Le'abai, so Abai comes back to him to say, Kim luhu l'rabanan, t'rahachi miyat v'hetate, mitatate mihachi lo miyate date. And again, Abai is just going to go back to the same principle. The sages have this tradition that when it's eaten in this duration of time, his mind is settled. When it's a little bit longer, his mind is not settled. And so I think what Abai is trying to say here is, Stop getting so stuck in the details, which is what the Gemara loves to do, right? That's what the Gemara likes to do. And here he's like, just go with it. This is the principle. Stop trying to find reasons to object to it. And I think what's interesting here is, you know, we have this established principle. It's going to be for Yom Kippur, this volume size of the large date. And then we see all these Amorayim coming with, you know, sort of objection after objection. And Abai just comes back with the same thing over and over again. No. The volume is the date because that's what it takes to settle your mind. All of these other criteria that you're trying to bring in, comparing it to drink, the size of a person, how, what kind of food it is, the length it takes to eat it, and maybe you're actually getting to eat more food. It, it, this isn't what Chazal we're talking about. So stop bringing in all of these other scenarios. And I think this is just a really different way to deal with objections. That's not usually how they're dealt with. Um, and so Abai is sort of just taking like a very different tactic. He's just being totally dismissive. He's like, no, the real principle here has to do with settling of the mind. Any other criteria you're trying to bring in, we're just discounting it. Well, I think this is about defining eating, right? Are, do we call it eating? Meaning not like a dictionary definition, which would just literally mean, I don't know what, ingesting food in any amount, let's say, for example. But here, halachic eating. Is it something that takes a certain amount of food, meaning that would be the measurement, in a certain amount of time, and otherwise it would be called not eating, but nibbling, let's say, and that doesn't count for this kind of, for any kind of requirement of halachic eating? Or is it a bias criterion, which is not some kind of objective, you know, put your volume plus time equals, right? But rather look at the person and did it settle your mind? If Is it enough to to remove the hunger or the agitation from hunger from you. And if not, what you've done isn't called eating or isn't considered halakhic eating. I think it's really interesting that all of this discussion about settling your mind comes in the context of a fast day where fasting is, you know, by removing the food is exactly where people might indeed get agitated by um, not having eaten, let's say. Whereas, so on a normal day, I don't know whether we would, whether we would have that same stark difference between the need to settle your mind and then how much do you eat to get that to occur. I don't know whether a bai, I don't think a bai's position is what's held up in halakha, meaning we talk about measurements all the time. Uh, right, but it's just the way he just keeps going back to that principle is just really interesting. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this app on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. <laughs>